I cannot solve your problem, sir. Only you can. It's all Bitch. goddamn fake, man. It's like Lenin said. You look for the person who will benefit and, uh, uh, you know, and you'll, uh, uh... Your revolution is over, Mr. Lebowski. My advice to you is to do what your parents did. Get a job, sir. The Pogues will always lose. You hear me, Lebowski? Um, yeah, strong is good. I don't recommend thinking of thought as the enemy or thought as a problem. What I recommend is seeing what thought actually is, and when you discover that, you'll find that it actually takes up a vastly smaller portion of your experience than we're used to thinking. Welcome to the Urban Guru Cafe. Our guest this week is Peter Brown. This is part two. I think the typical human situation might be that we're wearing our thoughts front and center, so to speak. We have our thoughts right in front of our experience, and we're experiencing our experience through these thoughts, through these overlays. But again, if you take a, a direct survey of the energies that are actually present as your experience, you'll discover that thought takes up a, a tiny, tiny piece of the real estate of your actual experience. For example, um, right now, you may be thinking thoughts, but you're also seeing, right? Your entire field of vision is full of this present light in your consciousness. And yet, this light is not a thought. This light is not there because you're thinking of it. This light does not stop when you stop thinking. The light is there spontaneously. It has absolutely nothing to do with thought. It's its own present entity. The same with the other five senses, your sensations that you experience, sound, so on and so forth. They're all present, and they all have absolutely nothing to do with thought. So right away, the band of thought is separate from the band of vision, the band of sound, the band of taste, the band of touch, and so on and so forth, and doesn't interfere with them. For example, when you're thinking, you don't stop seeing. Thinking doesn't make the light that's present in your field of vision go away. It's still there, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the thought. So when you take this kind of a survey of your experience, you know, I mean, over protractedly and more subtly over a period of time, you will begin to notice that your experience is a vast field of all kinds of energies that are spontaneously present in your consciousness. And thought is only one of those bandwidths, so to speak. And it's not particularly big and not particularly important, even though we obsessively give it maybe a disproportional importance by being so obsessed with it. Yeah, yeah, the total preoccupation with thought and all of what you just described is so obvious when you pointed out like you just did, you know, that thought is. And because I know for a long time for me, with dropping, not even dropping thought, but not giving so much weight to thought, you know, and realizing that all of the functioning was happening quite effortlessly, you know, there was no for me to be preoccupied with thinking things through to do things correctly. Um, mm -hmm. There's this real fear of dropping thoughts for fear that something dire might happen. You know, um, what if I don't plan about this or, you know, blah, blah. What if I forget <laughs> to look both ways before I cross the road? Right, yeah. But that's another fallacy that thought is effective. Thought doesn't actually do anything. What does all action is the inherent intelligence. And the inherent intelligence is not a product of thought. It doesn't go away or shut down or diminish when we don't think or if we're you know, doing something other than thought. And the inherent intelligence is what does all action, not just personally, so-called, but impersonally as well. 
It's the force that makes the sun shine. It's the force that makes gravity work. It's the force that makes your heart beat. It's the force that makes you have a body temperature. It's the force that puts the thoughts in your mind. So thoughts are an effect, not a cause. Thoughts are caused by or a symptom of the presence of this intelligence. And its intelligence is what actually does everything. Like you don't need to remember to breathe. You know, you don't need to remember to eat. When you get hungry, the intelligence will notice you're hungry and will go get food or try and figure out a way to go get food. Animals presumably, I mean, we, of course, this is pure speculation, but animals presumably don't think particularly in, in verbal terms as far as we might speculate. And yet they, when they're hungry, they have the capability to go and try and find food. You know, how does this happen? I mean, take a one-celled animal like an amoeba that doesn't even have a nervous system or a brain, and yet it is able to feed itself. So this inherent intelligence is profoundly powerful, and it's impersonal as well. And it, in fact, is doing all of our actions. It is actually living our life. We're like a, you know, think of ourselves as a human being. We're like a marionette being pulled by the inherent functioning of this intelligence. And this is an easy thing to see. Because, because we don't think our thoughts. Our thoughts appear spontaneously. You don't, you don't decide, in 30 seconds, I'm going to think such and such a thought. The thought appears in your mind. And if you, if you notice it, your train of thought in real time and spend some time just noticing how it works, this fact is, I think, pretty plainly apparent and discoverable, that we don't think our thoughts on purpose. You don't think a train of thought because you decided to think it. It just appears there. And then we sort of play catch up and say, yeah, I'm thinking this. Mm. But if you look at the actual mechanism, the thought appears first. The thought appears on its own. And then we sort of play catch up of, oh, yeah, I'm thinking this thought. I'm deliberating. I'm, you know, worrying. I'm blah, blah, blah. Mm. But the thought is actually spontaneously appearing. So it's an effect, not a cause. qualities of reality. What are these principles or qualities of reality? Well, of course, the true principles and qualities of reality can't be said, <laughs> which is why this is so tricky and subtle. I have a few approximations that I throw around, not because they're true, but because they might be a useful metaphors for people to investigate to discover what actually is true. Reality can be said to have myriads of qualities. Three that I find particularly useful is there is a perfect clarity that reality consists of. In other words, experience appears unimpededly. You know, it, the experience doesn't get in the way of itself. All of your experience appears in your consciousness absolutely unmediatedly, absolutely unblocked. For example, even if you have, say you're drunk or something, or you're, or you're dizzy, or you're feeling sick with a fever, there's a fuzziness there, and yet you know there's a fuzziness with absolute clarity. Because the actual background of perception of experiencing is this perfect clarity that everything appears in. Like a perfectly, you might think of it as a perfectly clean window. That, so it's so clean you can't even see that there's glass there, that, that your whole world, your whole universe, your whole reality is appearing in. Ain't it? 
just like the night to play tricks when you're trying to be so quiet. We sit here stranded, but we're all doing our best to deny it. You might think of it as a perfectly clean window. That's one analogy. Another is a radiant presence. Um, this is sort of the other side of the coin. Within this perfect clarity, there appears a radiant presence, and all of our experience consists of this radiant presence. You might call it, um, in the case of the field of vision, we might call it light. In the case of the field of hearing, we might call it sound. In the case of the field of meditation, we might call it thought, and so on and so forth. But all these differentiations are kind of arbitrary because the energies, what, how, whatever, however we're classifying them as appearing within these different fields, are actually that have the same radiant presence. They're present instantaneously in real time, as real time, in this perfect clarity. So all experience consists of this perfect clarity. All experience consists of a radiant presence. And the third quality that I sometimes uh, go to is non-existence, which means that when you go into the radiant presence, you can't find what it is. You can't find any, anything particularly. It's, it's a similar quality to in what in Buddhist philosophy is called um, emptiness. But uh, the reality is very directly experienceable because when you look for anything specifically, when you look at it very, very precisely and very detailedly, you can't find definitively what it is. It the closer you look, the more complex it becomes, the more subtle it comes, the more it actually recedes as a specific thing. Things are more specific when we don't look at them very closely, but the more we go into them, the more complex and subtle they become indefinitely. So we never hit bottom. Mm -hmm. you know, we can just go into anything. So there's this radiant presence, it's self-evidently here as my experience, and yet when I try and look at what anything is, when I try and look at what is light, well, light is appearing, well, I'm calling this what's appearing in my field of vision light, but what is it? But the closer I look at what it is, the less clear it becomes in a certain sense. I can't ever find light itself. I can't find sound itself. I can't find thought itself. So in a certain sense, it could be said to not exist in any way that is findable. And consciousness is the same thing. You look for consciousness, you can't find it. And this is paradoxical because it's, it's, so, it's so clearly here, consciousness is here, and this radiant presence of experience, of the energies being experienced is here, and yet you can't find them. ask you about is because you talk on your site about transmission and as soon as I saw the term I was a bit concerned and I thought oh my god <laughs> maybe we shouldn't research this guy enough you know you know, <laughs> you know how a lot of people talk about transmission and it just totally I don't know I mean I guess what I want to say is what do you mean by this transmission and 
when you mention it, it sort of sounds like it's something outside of me that's going to give me what I need. And I kind of, yeah, I kind of, I don't know, I just, could you say something about transmission and, you know, why it's necessary or how it's necessary? Sure. Well, I'm alluding to the fact that the qualities of reality, the nature, the true nature of reality is absolutely incommunicable. It can't be put into words, it can't be described, it can't be defined. And yet, it seems to, in, in actual practice, empirically, it seems to be possible to help people to discover it, to communicate it through some means with people, with some, you know, indirect resonance or I don't know what. And, you know, calling it transmission is just, you know, I may as well just say the mysterious fact that somehow communicability seems to happen sometimes, you know, which is the only point of going to a spiritual teacher or something is in the hope of this communication happening. Otherwise, it's just entertainment or wasting your time. What it is, if anything, is entirely mysterious, as all reality is inherently entirely mysterious. So we can't know, just, you know, you said that it's something coming outside yourself, from outside yourself. Well, we can't know that it's from outside yourself. Maybe it's, you know, awakening what's in yourself or even, or more simply just noticing what's in yourself. But again, since we can't know what the mechanism is, it's a waste of time to speculate on it. But in my experience, it's an empirical fact that there is a communicability about this, or not even about this, but a communicability of this realization of the true nature of reality that can happen. And that's, I guess that's what I refer to. I mean, I think that that's, that anything that is, that calls itself transmission or Shaktipat or whatever is essentially that, how, whatever other kinds of theories are being associated with it. Okay, so you're talking about having to be in the room with somebody or like the actual being in the presence of someone. Not necessarily, but in my experience, that can be a powerful aspect of it, and I don't know why that is. And really, in the end, though, nothing's happening. Yeah, well, we can't know. Again, to say nothing's happening or to say something's happening is to approach a mystery and try and pin it down. Okay. You know, we, we can't know that anything's happening, but we can't know that nothing's happening because reality in itself is at bottom a mystery. It's at bottom an open-endedness. So no one can say definitively what it is or what's going on anytime. And if they do, they're talking through their hat. So Peter, you run meetings as well? I wouldn't dignify it by saying I run them, but I show up for them sometimes. <laughs> okay. And so where exactly do you run the, the, yeah, the meetings? I'll call them meetings. Usually at different people's houses or sometimes different venues that I've used when it's convenient. But, you know, whatever works. I'm meeting with people, you know, a few times a week most of the time these days. I'm in Northern California in the Bay Area, and the actual meetings uh, may change from time to time, so probably the best way to put it, if people are interested in coming to see me, is to go to my website, and there's a page there called Events, and I try and keep that current with times that I'll be available. I also can be available for private meetings with people. I can also be contacted through my website for inquiries of that nature. It's www.theopendoorway, one word, um, dot org. I got water on the brain My mind is like a drain Here I go again Over the hill My eyes don't seem to clear I'm not sure what I hear Seems I'm going clear Over the hill Like a cripple and his crutch 
say, see what's seeing by seeing it, not by thinking about it. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly the point. We're having direct experience. Just notice that we're having direct experience, and that fact is mind-blowing. That fact is mind-boggling. It's inconceivable. You look at this directed... I mean, light, what we call light, is showing up in what we call consciousness. What? What is that? What is, what is going on there? You know, when you, when you see this phenomena happening in real time, it's inconceivable. It's miraculous. I mean, what is it? You know, what is it? And seeing the mysteriousness of it is seeing what it actually is. It's not mysterious because it's something and we don't get it. It's mysterious because it, it is a mystery. It's a, it's a miracle. It's, it's, it's literally magical, not in some metaphorical sense, but in a, in a real sense. It's just mind-blowing. And discovering that mystery, discovering that magicalness, opens our world from this dull, humdrum, horrific place that we may, that may be in our imagination to an incredibly vital, mysterious, surprising, constantly you know, changing um, adventure. In the lazy water meadow, I lay me down. All around me, golden sunflakes covering the ground. Hear the lark and hearken to the barking of the dog fox, gone to ground. See the splashing of the kingfisher flashing to the water A river of green is sliding unseen beneath the trees Laughing as it passes through the endless summer making for the sea You have been listening to the Urban Guru Cafe. The Urban Guru Cafe is produced in Australia. Life does not stop and start at your convenience, you miserable piece of shit. I figure it's easy money.